The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, it has been a busy week for the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm going to talk to RJ Ochoa of Blogging the Boys. He's going to give us a preview on the upcoming 22 season, his thoughts on how the Cowboys have been looking this summer, and also we're going to talk about the domino effect of a key injury along their offensive line that took place this week. We're going to break that all down and get his thoughts on that coming up here in the next few minutes. Also, I am out with my 10 bold predictions for the NFL season. I gave you my 10 bold Eagles predictions last week. I'm going to give you 10 predictions now for the upcoming NFL season going around the league. We'll do that all coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Well, we are awaiting this 2022 season and feeling pretty good about ourselves as Eagles fans. And uh, we look at our chief competition, I think, this year as the Dallas Cowboys, of course, the uh, reigning division winners. Um, great quarterback, best quarterback in the division and a, and a pretty good roster. But that roster took a hit this week when Cowboys left tackle Tyron Smith suffered an avulsion fracture of the knee which, if I could put this into terms that hopefully won't be too graphic for you, the hamstring tendon on the back of the knee pulled off the bone and needs surgery. If he's back at all, it likely won't be until December. So a major loss for the Dallas Cowboys along the offensive line. Now, they have had to play a lot without Tyron Smith over the last few years, but uh, clearly they were counting on him being a big part of the offensive line. Joining me to talk about the Smith injury and also just to kind of help give us a preview of this upcoming Cowboys season and what, what he's seen so far this summer in training camp and in these preseason games is the great R.J. Ochoa. You know him as the editor-in-chief of Blogging the Boys and the host of various podcasts including the Ocho, the SB Nation NFL show, and the co-host with Brandon Lee Gotten of the NFC East mixtape that you hear her on the that you hear on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Uh, follow him on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. RJ, man, what's up, buddy? It's not been a good week, has it? No, it hasn't. Um, you know, it's uh I, I I mean it's it's been an emotionally weird week, to be honest. Um I don't know that any Cowboys fan is I, this sounds strange, I, I recognize, but I don't know that anybody's like particularly upset about the Tyron injury just because it was incredibly predictable, right? Um, and so what, what I think people are frustrated about is, is it was so predictable, and yet here they stand, here they sit with absolutely no options, no direction to turn um, because of, of their own doing. And so that's the really kind of primary emotion I think people are reconciling with. Yeah, so, I mean, this was kind of a thing where you didn't – I mean, he's got an injury history that goes back – 
a pretty long ways. I mean, this is not somebody that's, I think, reliable. And I know you've been harping on it during the offseason that the, the Cowboys really just didn't do enough to shore up positions like this where you are forced to rely on an unreliable player. And in this particular situation, it's kind of bit them on the rear end. So where do they go now? Like, what, what do they do to fill the, to fill the void here without Tyron Smith? You know, um, I mean, I think there's a, a handful of options and none of them are, are great, you know, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. time to make lemonade. And so I think the, the first option, the most feasible is you find somebody else to play left tackle, whether it be a free agent, somebody who you can trade for, uh, free agent names that have been discussed. Uh, Brian Belonga has a Mike McCarthy connection, Marcus Cannon, um, you know, Jason Peters uh, is obviously yeah. a, a name. Um, the, the Cowboys are insisting, at least publicly, that they are believing that, that Tyron Smith is going to return in December. And I, you know, I, I think that inhibits your ability to land somebody like a Jason Peters, who who doesn't want to show up to be relegated. You know, obviously in, in the most important part of the year. Um, but that's that's the the first step is you either sign somebody or whatever trade for somebody. Uh, Andrew Whitworth is kind of the best of both of those worlds. You trade for somebody's rights. He's retired. Uh, he's got another job. He, he put himself in the news in, in that respect. Um, the Cowboys drafted Tyler Smith in the first round, and right. he he obviously played tackle in college. Um, but you know, because the Cowboys, John had. had such a, an elite level of uh, a foresight they, they took the left tackle from college and, and planted him right at left guard and gave him no serious work at, at left tackle uh, throughout camp or the preseason. And so, um, you know, and, and what's more is like, you know, they, they've, they've sort of advertised him as their left tackle of the future. But do you jeopardize that? Do you risk that? Do you put him out there in, in, in this sort of baptism by fire and, and risk him, you know, crumbling at the NFL level and damaging his future potential or future whatever um, you know an idea that a lot of people have floated out just in the aftermath because you kind of have to look under every rock is do you do you kick Zach Martin out to left tackle he, he has mm -hmm. not enjoyed playing right tackle in the times that he has had to he has done it at an elite level um, but but you know different mechanics different things and obviously that would be the other side you could kick Zach Martin out to right tackle and, and flip Terrence Steele the current right tackle previous swing tackle over to the left side um, and in that world you can you know either one of those worlds you can keep Tyler Smith at left guard so there are various combinations that Cowboys can pursue uh, but but none of them are going to equate what they would have had with a healthy Tyron Smith. As we're recording this on Friday morning, there's been a lot of buzz about Andrew Whitworth, who, of course, we know retired from the Rams after winning the Super Bowl with them last year. And um, he had some interesting things to say here over the last 24 hours, seemingly think, seemingly saying that the Cowboys were interested in him and then kind of backing off that, that claim a little bit. What's going on with the Andrew Whitworth situation? So I think it's worth mentioning that he said this during the first Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football broadcast, uh, which was a, a contest between the Texans and the 49ers, obviously on Thursday night. Um, and, and at one point in the second half, did, did kind of a sideline interview. I've never seen like a, a commentator interview, like from the team, by the way. You yeah. know, like like Fox isn't out here like interviewing like Howie Long or something. But um, but either way, um, he, he, he was asked uh, if his phone has been ringing in the aftermath of last week's Texans-Rams game. Obviously, with the Rams, you know, maybe trying to, to reconnect with him and, and bring him back. And of his own accord, brought up the Cowboys and said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, phone's been ringing, calls, texts, uh, you know, what with the Tyron Smith injury and things like that. He did not expressly say that the Dallas Cowboys have called him. He did not literally say those words, but he certainly intimated it. Um, and so to your point on Friday morning, kind of walked that back a little bit after, you know, we and, and various other people kind of, you know, made some some things out of that, um, said, hey, I, I didn't say that. And he said that reporters and journalists are the people who have reached out to him, which may very well be true. 
true. Uh, Pro Football Talk highlighted that perhaps, you know, Andrew's trying to protect maybe his future employer from any sort of tampering charge because the Rams do technically still hold his rights. Um, So there there would have to be that particular part of of discussions um, that would happen, especially in the climate we currently live in where uh, the Miami Dolphins were obviously heavily penalized for that. But I'd say 51% of me believes that. I would say the other 49% believes that in Amazon's first Thursday night football broadcast, they they needed a way to to kind of make a splash because you know who was tuning into the second half of uh, of Texans Niners. I know you'll be pleased to, to know that I was enjoying Trey Mancini um, hitting his sixth home yeah. run with the Houston Astros. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, so yeah, maybe it's a matter of hey, Andrew, you're on this team now. We need some juice. You know, mm-hmm. Cowboys have a need. Let's let's just connect some dots and and let the blog and the boys of the world take off and, and make what they will and, and mention our name a bunch of times. Well, a trade with the Rams would make some sense. I can't imagine the Rams would would require anything too heavy back, considering they weren't planning on having him this year anyway. Uh, there there is an Eagles left tackle, the backup left tackle Andre Dillard, who has been kind of just mentioned by Eagles fans a little bit. It doesn't seem like it would make a lot of sense for the Eagles to help the Cowboys out in this particular situation, but seeing as how they are the the chief rivals and their chief competition here in the NFC East. I, I, but I, I wonder if there would be any interest from Dallas aside for a player like Andre Dillard, a former first round pick who has seemingly gotten better uh, since his, uh, since his rookie season coached up by Jeff Stoutland and has no path to starting barring an injury to Jordan Mailata uh, anytime in the near future. I, and I wonder from an Eagle standpoint, if it makes sense to, to help out what kind of compensation, the Cowboys would consider for a player like Andre Dillard if they would be interested at all and how much the Eagles would need to get back in order to say okay here you go here's a starting left tackle for you I mean it just it it seems like it's difficult to make a deal work but the the Eagles have a player who they could move and the Cowboys have a need and these two teams have traded with each other before mostly around the trade deadline but I mean uh, mostly during the draft but they have they do have a relationship they do. In fact, the Cowboys starting center, Tyler Biotish, was a part of That's the right. last trade that, that they uh, they executed, which was during the 2020 draft, to your point. Um, Sean Lee is a product of a Cowboys-Eagles draft. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't think it would be – it's not the most impossible thing in the world to believe, but I do think it would be unlikely. I also think – I know that Philly fans are, are down on Andre Dillard. Like, believe me, you, you want as many – options here as you can have that's been my yeah. gripe with the Cowboys all along like why well, I'm not giving them away no right. doubt like, about it and, yeah. and I don't know what the Cowboys would be willing to give up I mean obviously Dillard's an option Laramie Tunsil's a name that's been thrown out a lot and it's hard to argue that anything around first round pick territory at, at this stage wouldn't wouldn't be a panic buy wouldn't, wouldn't you know kind of express any of, of those um, sort of emotions but I would almost enjoy that if that uh, makes any kind of weird sense. I would almost like to see a massive overpay because that would be the first sign since the Cowboys lost in the wild card round to the 49ers that they recognize that there's a lot on the line here this season. They have they have dragged their feet. They have approached this with such trepidation that it, it's hard to believe that they understand that, that these games count starting in two weeks. And so, yeah. you know, it would be nice to see that. Now, I as I say that out loud, the, the reason I, I think they're not willing to commit anything from from a serious compensation standpoint, and, and this could just be their, their public backing of the idea, you know, in the immediate aftermath of Tyron's injury. But if they truly believe that the Tyron is going to, to return in December, I would one categorize that as, as highly, 
you know, irresponsible team building. But but two, I think that would inhibit them from from doing anything like this. I think they believe all they have to do is tread water till December. You know, because that's what an NFL season is, right? Like once you get to December is when you can really start playing good football, um, and that they'll be okay. They play eleven games before the month of December um, completely hits. Um, and so if if they, I, I I wouldn't put it past them to truly believe that that Tyron's going to be back, he's going to be okay, and he's just going to come back and, and play every game, and everything's going to be perfect and hunky dory. So I guess the last thing on this then is you know Dak Prescott now there's a lot of uncertainty as far as who's going to be protecting his blind side. And it just, it just feels like it's a continuation of, of I know what you've been writing about for blogging the boys and talking about with, with BLG on, on the mixtape, just that this Cowboys team did, doesn't appear properly prepared to, to, to take the next step here in this, in this division this year. The whole thing, John, has been really surreal. Um, the, the injury took place Wednesday night. Um, my wife and I had just finished, um, you know, the episode of Big Brother that we had recorded, and I was all set to to go get some reading done, you know, on the iPad and kind of get prepped for the next day. And then this news landed, and and we obviously got a lot of work done. But um, you know, so so this injury happens late Wednesday night, and and you know, the world is on fire. Cowboys Nation is on fire. And then on Thursday morning, first take is at the star in Frisco and you know there's a crowd like chanting Jerry Jones's name while he's he's on the set with Stephen A Smith um you know I don't know anybody who watches these shows but clearly some some people do and and he's he's talking about how I mean like literally declaring that Tyron's going to be back for the playoffs that that you know they go as Zeke goes I mean it, I'm not a, a WWE fan but it felt very you know, WWE like, I mean, I, I felt like I was watching big brother, like it was some sort of reality show. And then, you know, fast forward, not even 12 hours, the Cowboys held kind of their own ceremony, uh, kind of their own miniature team version of NFL honors on Thursday night. So you got, you know, the entire Cowboys roster, current, past, you know, present, um, you know, walking the blue carpet, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing interviews. Everyone's being asked about the devastating injury that happened to their football team. And so it's just a, I don't know anything else that that would be like this except for the Dallas Cowboys organization. And so um, I, I would I would say the only injuries that could maybe plague them in a more severe way would be to Micah Parsons or Dak Prescott. But obviously this is of a seismic volume. And so that happens while all this celebrating and, you know, trotting out is, is happening in parallel. It was just that, that we are truly experiencing the most Dallas Cowboys season possible. I think that's what I can declare as 2022 gets ready to unfold. We're all going into this. I think if you asked Dallas Cowboys fans, they would almost certainly all tell you that they are going to win the division. Uh, if you ask Eagles fans, I think just about every Eagles fan would tell you they are going to win the division. And I, I think generally speaking, it's not it's not often that you you see these two teams really as as they, they as as things look here. I see them as kind of equals. I, I think just based on roster construction, the overall roster of the Eagles is better. I think the Cowboys have a much better quarterback and that is such a hugely important position. It it kind of cancels things out somewhat and you know it's it's just such an interesting race between these two teams and you know watch as we're sitting here talking about this it's the Commanders that ends up <laughs> winning the division but uh, I don't necessarily see that happening but RJ as we sit here now before we get into individual players and and units and stuff like that your take on the offseason. I know you've talked about it with BLG a little bit on the mixtape. I know you've talked about it on the on the uh, SB Nation NFL show, but what kind of an offseason have the Cowboys had? Are you are you satisfied with what they ended up accomplishing or not accomplishing this summer? Um in in no way shape or form am I satisfied. <laughs> I um you know, 
when you look at the the division, right? It's it's a you know pretty. I would say it's the most winnable division in in the NFC. Maybe I mean maybe you could argue the NFC North if you're the Green Bay Packers, right? You have Aaron Rodgers, kind of in a similar boat, right? Like not that Dak is Aaron, but you know you have the, that piece figured out, and, and there's just some kind of questions basically everywhere else. Um, but so I mean you look at there was this mass exodus in the conference as a whole this offseason, right? Like all these players leaving from the NFC yeah. to the AFC. So it would have been nice if the Cowboys recognized, you know what, we do have the best quarterback in the division. We do have the best defensive player in the division. We, we have the, you know, the only head coach in the division who's won a Super Bowl before, right? Somebody who's, who can seemingly architect his way to that. Um, let's go for it now. And, and the opposite has sort of felt true. The team has regressed. And, and you know, this is an unpopular thing to say among some Cowboys fans who, who just, you know, are, are chugging the Kool-Aid kind of left and right, um, you know, double fisting. But I mean, they, they traded away Amari Cooper and, and really kind of did nothing. They Okay, they drafted Jalen Tolbert, you know, in the third round, and we're all excited about him. But, you know, it would be unfair to expect him to be Amari Cooper. They, they cut Lyle Collins, and, 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 you know, they already had kind of a, a precarious situation to tackle, given that Tyron Smith has missed time six years in a row. And their big answer to that was to spend a fifth-round pick. In fact, the, the pick they got from the Amari trade uh, on Matt Waletsko. And, and so they kind of have this – the analogy I've, I've used a lot is is they're the, the house that the little piggy built out of twigs, right? Like they're not mm. quite straw – um, but but they had all the tools, they had all the resources, they had all the the financial flexibility to, to build this thing out of brick and mortar. And so it's it's frustrating that they wouldn't identify this as an opportunity to do it. And the most common response you get when when you have this conversation in Cowboys circles or among Cowboys fans is, well, they're just they're just tanking. It's a setup for Sean Payton. And I've never understood that argument. Why? I mean, why why would you have to tank to acquire Sean Payton? I mean, you know. Wouldn't Sean rather take over a good team? Like, why? why I, it's not a prerequisite yeah. to acquire Sean Payton to, to be bad in 2022. So it's it's a, just a, a really it, it, – they've taken a few steps back, and the frustrating part is they've all almost been intentional. Like the, nothing accidental where there's an injury at the last minute or anything. Like right. They, they went into this offseason knowing – we are going to move on from Amari Cooper, and we're not really going to replace him with an Amari Cooper-level player. Um, we're going to move on from all these other different players. We're not going to replace them with players of that of that caliber. And it, it's been it's been crazy to me to to kind of see it all happen because I really did feel like they had a they had a Super Bowl caliber team last year. I thought. I mean, it was unfortunate for Cowboys fans, certainly not for Eagles fans, but how they lost that game against San Francisco. The Cowboys were the better team. There's no I don't think anybody would sit in here and tell you the 49ers were the better team. The Cowboys really had an opportunity and and kind of frittered it away and it, it is surprising to me. You mentioned the Sean Payton thing is is the reason people are making that argument because they're worried that if the Cowboys do get into the playoffs again this year, but maybe don't go very far, that it's harder for Jerry Jones to fire Mike McCarthy and bring in somebody like Sean Payton? Like, do they feel like you need to have a losing record in order to justify firing Mike McCarthy? Because I don't feel that way. I agree with you, but I think that people do think of it in, in that sense, right? Like how, you know, if if you were to be hypothetical and say they won the division, say they even won a playoff game, but still lost in the divisional round. I mean, you'd, you'd, how could you, you know, on one hand, fire a coach who, who'd taken you to the playoffs two out of three years, been the first coach to, to win the NFC East in consecutive seasons since 2004, right? Like there, you know, there'd be a lot of feathers in his cap, but to your point, who cares, right? Like if it's your guy, go get him. And that's why like, you know, if Sean Payton is your guy, you should have got him this year. You know, like I would disagree with that idea and, and, you know, kind of reworking everything 
everything and and costing yourself what it would take to get him. But if that's your your plan, then do it. Don't just waste all of our time. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's you're right. I mean, it was really frustrating, obviously, to watch them lose to San Francisco. And I think you're fair in saying that they were a Super Bowl team last year. And that's why people were so high on the 2020 Cowboys because that was kind of the, the same iteration. Obviously, they didn't have Micah Parsons. Um, but but to your point earlier, that season was derailed by the Dak Prescott injury and the Tyron Smith injury. And so you kind of felt like that was this lost year. And so it's it's frustrating that they, they seemingly haven't recognized the opportunity that they've been given to kind of have a second chance at that, but they've moved on. And, and they haven't moved on in the name of anything. You know, there's nothing that they have accomplished by moving on from any of these players except weakening their roster. In fact, the only thing, and, and you know, I, I, I struggle to, you know, kind of put life into conspiracy theories and things like that, but the only thing that, that makes some logical sense is that they're just angry with Dak Prescott for winning the, the contract contract negotiations and they're trying to punish him in some way shape or form because every bit of narrative that, that has come out that they've leaked out through through the way that they handle things I know the Eagles do their own thing in, in their own particular way but it's been this is the year of Dak Dak has to elevate these mm-hmm. inexperienced wide receivers why? why why does he have to elevate inexperienced wide receivers why can't you go get him established wide receivers it's just it's a very very strange time I will say that you know, there are obviously people who, who are going to support them blindly no matter what. But this has been a very, very interesting offseason. I do think, you know, and you mentioned I, I talk about it with BLG a lot, but there are a lot of people who are, are kind of hip to this. I, I think that more than ever, people are out more than ever. Nobody is buying the the kind of normal Jerryisms and and kind of same old, you know, pounding of the chest, America's team, whatnot, narrative and juice. People are sick of it. I think people are really sick of, of being frustrated and mad and angry and embarrassed right I mean every you know you know a lot of Cowboys fans you know and and it's always a fun thing to rub it in their face when things don't go their way but so based on how I'm hearing you talk about this team was I right at the in the lead-in that most Cowboys fans think they will win the division or are Cowboys fans really down on this team heading into heading into this season I think and that's where you know, and I haven't really thought much about this until this moment. So this this is an introspective exercise. I think Cowboys fans feel like they will win the division just because it's bad, right? And I think because people have such a, a, a unknown, you know, kind of impression of Jalen Hurts and whether or not he can be a legitimate quarterback, whether or not he can lead the Eagles to that distance. I mean, he has never played well against the Cowboys. And so if it does come down to that, you know, I don't think anybody trusts that. But I think people are at this this you know, and I, I don't mean this the way that it sounds, and, and I know I love to take my shots at Eagles fans, but <laughs> I, I do think that winning the division is a bigger prize to Eagles fans in our current moment. Um, I don't mean that like in a general sense, but and so I'm not trying to say the Cowboys have, have experienced so much success that the division is meaningless to them, but I think it's because of the lack of success. I think Cowboys fans are so bitter and so burned by by having won the division and, and talked themselves into this is it. We, we did it again. We got the caps and the t-shirts. Let's do it again. Let's go get another round in the conference championship only for it to fall short. And so I think everybody feels like, okay, yeah, this this team has the best quarterback in the division. They have the best pass rush from the division. They have you know, the best corner in the division they have all these things you know cool but what's this for to, to just go win the sorry nfc east and, and lose in the wild card round to you know the hot minnesota vikings or the hot you know 49ers again or whatever the case may be so that that's where i think people you know are, are, are i think the majority of cowboys the center of the venn diagram is they all think that this division is winnable by this particular team mostly because of dak prescott uh but that they they really have a, a much lower ceiling than any other would-be contender in the nfc all right, well, let's talk about how they've looked so far this summer. How has the Cowboys, how have the Cowboys looked during camp? Um, 
and start off by telling me kind of what area of the team do you think has been the most impressive so far? You know, there's and, and this has been well chronicled by everybody, um, including you know Cowboys, you know writers and supporters and things like that. But but regression to the mean is is coming for this defense from from a, the very least a statistical standpoint, a volume standpoint. However. They have they have looked the part. They they have looked like a group that is improved or or going to at least be the same or whatever the case may be. And I think that was a big concern by people was whether or not this defense really could survive. You know, just another year or if they could manage to be even good. We saw Washington a year ago obviously regress way past the mean. But uh, Micah Parsons has again through the prism of what you can kind of how you can grade you know training camp or the preseason. He has looked like he is on pace to improve as a player. Trayvon Diggs has looked like he's on pace to improve. And I would say the whole defensive line as a group, you know, Demarcus Lawrence and Neville Gallimore, two of their starting players along the defensive line, played a combined 12 games last year. And they've both really looked solid so far throughout camp. So I think that everyone's expectation has been that this pass rush is going to be legitimate. Obviously, the addition of Anthony Barr was a really exciting thing. It allows Micah Parsons to more freely roam up to the front and, and, and rush the passer the way that we know that he can. And so overall, I mean, this is you know, I'm 32 years old. This is the most confident I think I've ever felt in a Dallas Cowboys defense. But again, you know, everything kind of ultimately points back to, to some level of frustration. You know, th- this this front office is building this team in a defensive-minded way in the year 2022 when offense rules all. So what team, what uh, aspect of the team do you think has looked the worst so far this summer? What's the I don't, weak link? I don't know how you can't say – I mean – you could see offensive line and wide receiver are both kind of their own individual arguments. Receiver has CD lamb and, and he has looked the part too. I think, you know, CD lamb has been a fine player in the NFL, but I mean, you know, the, the expectation is this emergence into this kind of top three level tier. Um, and he, he looks again, like somebody who's certainly capable of that, which is, is definitely obviously what Cowboys fans want to see right now. But outside of that, I mean, Michael Gallup, we don't know how long he's going to be out. Could it be three weeks, four weeks? I mean, longer potentially. I mean, so he's is he make- starting on the pup list, RJ. He is on on pup as of now, but he is not on the reserve pup list, so he is okay. not you know sentenced to to absence for the first four games quite yet. The way Chase okay. Young is, so I mean we'll see if they they flip that switch uh, when they set their fifty three man roster, but they've at least spot themselves another week to kind of you know figure things out. James Washington, um, you know who was their first, they were the Cowboys were the last team in the NFL to sign an external veteran free agent. It was James Washington. He's hurt. He's out till mid October. Um, so you know their starting receiver are CeeDee Lamb, Noah Brown, and Simi Fajoko. Um, and so that's not, not a great place to be yet. So if it weren't for CD, they would arguably have the worst receiver core in the NFL in their current state. Obviously, you know, Gallup and Washington are expected to come back, but I, I do think the answer is offensive line. Um, you know, Zach Martin is amazing and, you know, arguably the best guard in the NFL. Tyler Smith, their first round pick. I think that's one of the only things they've done that was met with a ton of criticism that has aged well. Um, Tyler has, has looked every much the way I think you'd expect or want a rookie first round interior offensive lineman to look and, and looks you know like the guy who's going to float out to be the left tackle of the future but you know it, it is this this house you know built out of uh, twigs a, a small little bonus answer would be the kicker position they started training camp with two kickers on their roster neither of them made it through the entire preseason one of them didn't even make it to the preseason so um it you know, you know the Cowboys played nine games last year that were decided by one possession it's a league where the margin of error is extremely thin and they don't appear to be taking a position that gives you points very seriously two-point conversions RJ all year nothing but two-pointers let's do it let's line it up I'm a fan um yeah um 
So is this the year Tony Pollard finally becomes the number one running back in the Cowboys' backfield, RJ? John, I um, I would love that. I would love that more than most things in life. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and the way the Cowboys are talking right now, hey, it's, we're going to use Tony Pollard this year. And it's just it, it has never happened. So it's difficult to believe them. It's difficult not to think that they're just a, a bunch of phonies. I mean, and, you know, I, I don't know who I blame the most for this. I mean, I, I blame Zeke Elliott the most just because of his existence. It's not his fault, but, but the Cowboys so – desperately want him to be the face of their team and, and feed Zeke and you know he's on all the posters and all the imagery and things like that but I mean I, I just I'm I'm not going to buy into it you know they've talked about you know him working in the slot obviously while they're dealing with injuries at wide receiver he, he's gotten private tutoring from the coaching staff on route trees and things like that and, and so yeah that's exciting but it's all talk they, they've used them both simultaneously that, that's what you know again the the kind of most ardent supporters say well they'll they'll use them at the same time cool they've done that before and straight away from it as seasons have gone on and the most discouraging aspect to me is is that Tony Pollard's been on the Dallas Cowboys for three years right now and Kellen Moore has been the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys for three years I mean that that is the one common denominator head coaches have changed from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy quarterbacks have changed the the Dak Prescott injury obviously starting wide receivers have changed I mean you know there has been turnover all over the offense except for the play caller and and that so if we have to pick and blame one thing I mean outside of you know the front office pushing Zeke as the guy because of the contract and everything like that it's Kellen Moore to me and so I I mean the Cowboys are already past the point where they're not going to get a proper return on investment for, for what Tony Pollard's talent truly is representative of. But I just I don't see it happening. I would love to be proven wrong there. Cavante Turpin is now kind of the, the hottest name on the block because of, of the return touchdowns he had last week against the Chargers. And he's another one. I mean, I, again, believe me, you've got two fast, shifty dudes. Put the ball in their hand. I would love to see that all the time. I just don't trust the Cowboys to do that because that's not who they want to be. I think it's interesting. I saw this stat today about the death of the running game in the NFL. I was kind of looking up some numbers. I was I was surprised to see Antonio Gibson of the of the Commanders was uh, was one of only eight running backs to to clear a thousand yards rushing. Did you know eight eight guys ran for over a thousand yards last year in in a seventeen game regular season? It was sixteen ten years ago, seventeen in two thousand two, and thirteen in nineteen ninety two when there were fewer teams in the in the NFL. It just seems that's incredible to me, and I don't, it's not necessarily a Cowboys thing or, or an. I know the Eagles ran the ball a lot, but they did it by committee. They didn't have anybody come close to a, a thousand yards rushing. Does, does that surprise you? That number eight thousand yard rushers last year. A little bit, um, but to your point, I mean, the Eagles had had the best run game in the NFL and and didn't feel the need to have a thousand yard rusher, right? Like, yeah, and that's yeah. you know, and and I think you know we're we're not too far away from some like big think piece about how a thousand yards is like this hallmark achievement of an NFL running back because it, it happens so rarely now. But but that's the model. That's the that's the way to play this game at this point in time. The Cowboys, in, in I'm sure you remember, John, were very proud of the fact that Zeke Elliott got a thousand yards again, and it happened, you know. By, by the hair on his chinny chin chin in that week 18 yeah. game on the road against the Eagles which was meaningless yep. and I mean yep. I, I, I would I tell you what I would much rather be sitting here coming off of a, a season where they lost in the divisional round after a playoff win um, than you know sitting here saying well Zeke had another thousand yard season but that's you know that's that's kind of what this is about now the framing of Zeke is very interesting after the draft uh, the Cowboys did not select a running back. They, they did obviously dabble in, in undrafted free agency. But uh, but in their post-draft press conference, Stephen Jones, in talking about the future, specifically mentioned that Zeke is making a lot of money. And, and next year's the first year they can get out of that deal. Tony Pollard's obviously a free agent in 2023. So I do think that we'll see, you know, the, the, you know, the, the obvious turnover at the position a year from now. But 
in that sense, I do think they want to make sure that they get every bang for their buck with Zeke here, uh, and they want that 1,000 yards. I don't think any NFL organization cares about their running back hitting 1,000 yards except for the Dallas Cowboys. It is truly something that they are proud of. I want to talk about one other uh, part of the defense. You mentioned the defense at the beginning, so I don't know that we need to dive back into it, but Trayvon Diggs had had a monster season as far as splash plays were concerned. A lot of interceptions from him, and you mentioned a regression to the mean. I imagine one of the things you're talking about is Trayvon Diggs. I think Micah Parsons can have a similar season. I mean, he was amazing, but what he was doing didn't come by a weird stroke of luck or anything like that. It just looks to me like he's kind of a monster and so um overall on the defense how big is do you think it'll be a a less effective unit this year can Trayvon Diggs do again this year what he did last year I mean I would certainly bet against you know Trayvon's interception count in in that particular way I I certainly think he's a better player um and that's you know the the kind of message we've you know, tried to, to sort of imply to Cowboys fans that he can evolve, he can grow, he can develop, he can be better without having as many interceptions. But he is this polarizing player, as, as you know, Dallas Cowboys players often are. You know, I mean, you've seen the way he, he gets treated on Twitter. So his downfall, whatever there is, will be greatly and grossly exaggerated, much to the, the joy and jubilation of Eagles fans, I'm certain. Um, you're right, you know, Micah, I, I, Micah's success is more controllable, right? I mean, you, you, people make that argument about corners all the time, right? You know, you can only do what you can when the ball's thrown your way um so i mean all told the, the cowboys defense lost randy gregory and that was a weird situation but they added anthony barr i mean they they've added you know experience at least when it comes to micah parsons and trayvon Diggs. and so i i mean i think that they'll i i think as a whole they're regressing from a turnover standpoint but i think that that's important i i, I think that you know that's swung games we talk about that the margin of error being thin last year and so while you can be a better defense and be more sound and things like that, th- those turnovers won them games last year. It, it wasn't supremely consequential in the end, but but Trayvon's pick six in New England was kind of a big reason why they won that game. You know, mm-hmm. late in the game against the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, I, for no reason at all, Justin Herbert threw an interception in the end zone to Demonte Kazee, and that you know was a big kind of factor in why the Cowboys were able to win that game. People look at the season opener from a year ago when, when Dallas lost at Tampa and say, oh, they they barely lost. It took a last second field things like that yeah because Chris Godwin fumbled at at the goal line for for no weird reason at all so if those kind of you know and and that happens right like there are fluky things in football all the time but it it doesn't take much you know kind of uh, like multiverse timeline adjusting to to make the 12 and 5 Cowboys a year ago a 9 and 8 team that you know things are really that thin that if a handful of moments don't go your way the way they did a year ago then you know the, the results are massively swung and massively flipped in the opposite direction so I think the defense will be better but but I don't know that they'll be able you use the term splash plays i would i would say like season defining plays i don't know that they have as many of those in them we talked about mike mccarthy just briefly at the top if the cowboys don't make the playoffs is he gone i have no idea how he could return if they don't make the playoffs um now i don't think that is fair now i i'm 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 sort of a mccarthy truther uh but i'm not like in on him i just um, and, and willing to give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt than most people. And that really has nothing to do with the fact that he's Mike McCarthy. It's just like he's a human being. And so I'd, I'd like to give, you know, most people the benefit <laughs> yeah, of the doubt. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but so, I mean, and I think he, he really is in this Kobayashi Maru of sorts. And I think if I have learned anything from the Mike McCarthy era in Dallas, 
it is that the Green Bay Packers are really not that that big time. And not that I like didn't know that, but you know, we, we look at them as this successful team. They are I mean, you know, we joked about mom and pop shops, and obviously like the Packers culture is what it is, but they are truly that. I don't I don't think Mike McCarthy had any proper idea of what media life or daily life or whatever was like with the Dallas Cowboys. And he's run into all sorts of circumstances and situations that that aren't an issue when it comes to most teams. I mean, consider that Jerry Jones not only publicly said, but but publicly bragged about how he dangled McCarthy's job status to keep a subordinate of McCarthy's. Like, who who has to deal yeah, with that? Right. And and I'm happy the Cowboys kept Dan Quinn, but you know, at, at a certain point, and I don't, you know, I don't doubt McCarthy having self-respect for himself or anything like that. But I mean, this is just this is tough. And and you know, there's some people that are willing to put up with it, like Jason Garrett, but some people are not. And so I don't know that if he's if they miss the playoffs, McCarthy wants to deal with this. I mean, it, it would be a circus of, of and obviously how they would would miss the playoffs I think would impact that the context of it all but I, I just I mean it I wouldn't say he's got one foot out the door I think the Cowboys have, have pushed his body halfway out the door and they're just kind yeah. of waiting for the reason to fully execute the plan and so um and and if they go down this road with Sean Payton I don't know that you know I don't know that the the, the normal typical juice that we would expect from that kind of thing will be there I do think that there is a huge sense of apathy. I think that Jerry Jones has, you know, obviously for off the field reasons, you know, has, has really fallen in the eyes of a lot of people. Not that many people perceived him to be this great humanitarian or anything. Um, but I, I, I just, I don't know a Cowboys fan that is, that has Jerry's back that thinks Jerry is a good thing for this franchise. And so if they went down this road again, tried to sell the same thing over again, Sean Payton, blah, blah, blah. I think people are just, they're really tired of it. And so it, it, in one way, it would be kind of a relief if Mike McCarthy were fired, but in another way, it'd be incredibly depressing to be starting all over again. Yeah, it almost feels like the Cowboys need like a, a what with the Giants did with, with Dave Gettleman, be, to be able to free themselves of this thing that had been holding them back. And obviously that's a lot harder because Jerry Jones decides who's employed and who's not. And Jerry Jones is unlikely to fire Jerry Jones. <laughs> yeah. The general manager of the team. So, but that's really, I think you're right with that. That's what, that would scare me as if Jerry Jones were to say one day, look, folks, I'm 103 years old. I'm out. I, I can't do this every day anymore. So I'm going to bring in this really smart guy to run things. And um, that's when I sit back and I start to I start to shake a little bit. But having Jerry Jones making decisions does um, make me feel a little bit better uh, about them in the division for sure. I so. All of this taken into account, you may not be ready to give in an actual prediction. So if you don't want to give uh, a record, if you're saving that for your own podcast or for an article or something like that, that's fine. But just in general, if you have a prediction on the Cowboys 22 season and you would like to share that with us, I would love to hear it. Otherwise, just what are you what are you thinking about this season as a whole? What do you think is going to go down? I have no qualms uh, giving you and only you, John. I would like everyone else to cover their ears for this, but I'll, I'll give you my prediction. And, and, and EOTE I, exclusive, right. ladies and gentlemen. I, right. I, I love the fine folks of BGN Radio. I mean, you know, how can I not? I, um, you know, th- they're they're a beloved bunch in, in my heart. We love you as well. Um, I appreciate that. But um, I, I mean, so like I realized for the last, you know, 25 minutes or whatever, I've, I've kind of just trashed this team. But I don't know how they don't win 10 or 11 games. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, when, when you have the quarterback, it all kind of takes care of itself. And I, I know that because. I lived the Tony Romo era. I mean, you know, that's that's kind yeah. of the way that those teams were, were built and defined. I mean, even if you think – I mean, I, I think we're all fine here. We're all adults. We can say the Cowboys and Eagles split the series, you know, this coming season. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I mean, do you, in your heart of hearts, think they lose either game to Washington? They, they don't get Chase Young for the first one. Or New York? Yeah. I mean, so – 
let's call even if you're conservative right say they win four games in the division obviously the nfc east gets to play the afc south i, I mean i'm not afraid it's of the texans of the jaguars <laughs> i'm i'm i've trashed the colts a number of different times say say give give them three that's seven games right there this division gets to play the nfc north they get to play the bears and the lions like are we really afraid of this you know what i mean and then you know i'm not as big of a believer in the Bengals as a lot of people that's their afc uh draw that, that isn't in the afc south obviously i know phillies is uh is pittsburgh but um yep. i mean it's it's tough it's tough to find a logical way where they don't reach 10 or 11 wins so i think that that's my prediction i don't know the math of how they'll get there um but but i certainly kind of think that that is you know if you tell me their over under was 10 and a half that's what would wake me up in cold sweats at night because i really have no idea where they're going to fall on that side of things but my other prediction is is they're going to be highly dramatic i mean and i know that this has definitely provided a lot of joy for eagles fans in seasons following success for the cowboys so seasons following division you know winning campaigns they are generally a unique kind of mess they have found new and innovative ways <laughs> to embarrass themselves and and consider the day we're talking i love micah parsons I, there's not much he could do to upset me but the day we're recording this it was announced he's going to do a weekly hit on undisputed this season i'm and like who does fantastic. that fantastic that's and, fantastic and I don't, <laughs> i'm looking forward to that that's great the, the same show that that's host Skip Bayless attacked Dak Prescott's yeah. mentality for for speaking openly about his, his brother's death. So um, that's the world we're living in here, John. But but ten eleven wins feels pretty safe. All right, and I think that's not. I I can certainly see a path to that, and that's the thing is I can see a path to the Eagles at that same number, which makes it such. I think it really does make it a fascinating division, even though it is not the strongest division in the NFL. It should be a, a pretty evenly matched. Uh, these are two evenly matched teams, I think. It's gonna, I think it's going to probably come down to uh, the last week of the season. Well, look, folks, make sure that you are checking out everything that is going on with the Dallas Cowboys by checking out Blogging the Boys each and every day, reading RJ Ochoa's stuff there. You can hear him on the Ocho. You can hear him on the SB Nation NFL show, and you can hear him on the NFC East mixtape as part of the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And, again, don't forget to follow him on the Twitter machine at RJ Ochoa. RJ you're one of the best podcast pals in the world. Thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I appreciate it. John, you're handsome, you're debonair, and you have the voice of an angel. Thanks for having me. I agree on all counts. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So last year, around this time, I gave you 10 bold predictions for the 2021 NFL season. And as I look back on what I predicted last year, um, you might ask, be asking yourself, why would I ever dream of doing this again? Uh, because <laughs> they were bad. Um here were my 10 predictions for last year. I predicted the Dallas Cowboys would reach the NFC Championship game. I predicted that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens would quote-unquote bounce back. I, re I predicted that Daniel Jones would be replaced at midseason at quarterback for the Giants. I predicted the Kansas City Chiefs would break the Super Bowl loser curse, but just barely, which meant uh, that they would just barely squeak into the playoffs last year. I predicted Carson Wentz would take the Colts to the playoffs and get the Eagles a first-round pick. I predicted the Browns would have the best record in football. I predicted Matthew Stafford that the trade was a mistake for the Rams. I predicted Josh Allen and the Bills would take a step backwards. I predicted that the Saints were going to be very bad and that the Texans would go winless. Almost all of them 
were misses of some kind, some of them egregious. The Chiefs did break the Super Bowl curse. They did get back to the playoffs, but they were outstanding. It wasn't by squeaking by. They were insanely good once again. Carson Wentz did get the Eagles that first-round pick, so I got part of that right. But he, of course, famously did not take the Colts to the playoffs. The Browns absolutely did not have the best record in football. The Cowboys fell well short of the NFC Championship game. Matthew Stafford, that trade was a godsend. For the eventual Super Bowl champions. Couldn't miss that one by more. Josh Allen did not take a step back. He had perhaps one of the greatest seasons in NFL history for a quarterback. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens missed the postseason. The Texans did not go winless. And the Saints almost made the postseason. Daniel Jones was replaced midseason, but only due to injury. So yeah, just about all of those were wrong. So here I am, back again. With, t- with 10 more predictions, this time for the 2022 NFL season. 10 bold predictions. Um, it's for the clicks, everybody. Just so y'all know. It's <laughs> it's for the downloads and for the clicks. Uh, my first prediction, it's actually, I guess, a series of three predictions. But the first prediction, I predict that the Green Bay Packers, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Dallas Cowboys will all miss the playoffs here in 2022. Aaron Rodgers is great, but we've all seen him have bad seasons when the talent drain around him became too much. And I think the loss of Devontae Adams and the lack of a true, really great receiver in Green Bay is going to damage what the Packers are able to accomplish this year. And I think that's a morale crusher. I also think the division's a little better, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. The 49ers are going to have to adjust to Trey Lance. Maybe Lance is way better than I think he's going to be here in his first full season as the team starter, but I think it could take some time. And the Cowboys roster got worse this summer, not better, as, of course, you just heard me talking about with RJ. So no NFC East team has repeated as division champs since the 2001-04 Eagles, and I don't think Dallas is going to break that trend this year. My second bold prediction, the Lions, Commanders, and Vikings all make the playoffs. So if three playoff teams from last year are going to miss it, then three who missed out last year must replace them. I think the Lions are a chic pick to win a wild card. Everybody seems to like the Lions this year. Everybody loves Dan Campbell, and I guess I'm in on that train too. They played well last year despite their record. And with the decline of the Packers, I think the Lions will be battling the Vikings for the top spot in the NFC North, and I think both of those teams reach the playoffs. Also, I think Carson Wentz will play well enough this year with more talent around him in Washington to earn the commanders a wild card spot, especially since I think the Cowboys could be looking at a very rough season here in 2022. My third bold prediction, the Patriots will win six or fewer games. We're not talking a lot about the loss of Josh McDaniel and how much he could hurt Bill Belichick's offense. And I'm not sold on Mac Jones as a big-time quarterback in the NFL. I think the loss of talent in New England has been significant. And I think just in general, the AFC has gotten better around the Patriots. The Bills are head and shoulders better. And I think the Jets, the Jets and the Dolphins should both be improved. The Chargers and Bengals are both Super Bowl contenders with franchise quarterbacks. And I think the Broncos with Russell Wilson could be a Super Bowl contender. And I think even a team like the Jaguars is going to be better with Doug Peterson in 2022. So there are so many really good. And that's not even taking into account the Chiefs. I didn't even talk about the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. They're going to be good again, too, with Andy Reid. I mean, there's just there are so many better teams in the AFC right now, and I think the division has gotten better, and the Patriots have taken a step back. I think they're going to struggle to win six games here in 2022. You just hate to see it, don't you? Uh, bold prediction number four, Jimmy Garoppolo will be traded to the Dolphins at the trade deadline. 
The 49ers say they're going to hold on to Garoppolo or that they're willing to hold on to him all season. But I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. I think Trey Lance needs to know that the 49ers are his team. And I don't think he's able to do that with Garoppolo looking over his shoulder, knowing that every time Lance has a couple of bad games, that people are going to be calling for Jimmy G to get back in there. So I think it it means San Francisco takes a step back here in 2022, but I think they will move Garoppolo before the trade deadline to the Dolphins because I think Tua is going to struggle a little bit as the, the Dolphins quarterback. Bold prediction number five, Justin Herbert wins NFL MVP. I'm not predicting that the Chargers finish with the best record in the NFL, but they have an unbelievable roster, and they're going to be great on offense. And I think Herbert this year will challenge Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes for the mantle of best quarterback in the AFC. I think he's going to have over 5,000 passing yards and more than 40 touchdowns this year, and I think he is your NFL MVP. Bold prediction number six, the Bills defensive uh, end Von Miller will lead the NFL in sacks. You look at the division he's playing in. uh, He's got young quarterbacks in Mac Jones, Zach Miller, and Tua to go after. Uh, I think you've got a great safety tandem in Buffalo and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer that's going to allow him time to get to the quarterback. Joey Bosa is a popular pick. I know that. Um, But I think it's Miller who will lead the league in sacks. And I think he could threaten the all-time record of 22-and-a-half set by Michael Strahan and T.J. Watt. Bold prediction number seven, I believe we are at. Doug Peterson is named NFL Coach of the Year. It's a huge upgrade, moving from the incompetent Urban Meyer to the supremely excellent Doug Peterson. That is a big, big upgrade, and I think we are going to see a dramatic improvement in the overall quality of play from Jacksonville this year, especially from former number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence. When we talk about the best quarterbacks in the AFC, we forget Lawrence was the number one overall pick and deemed a can't-miss guy, like the surest of sure things in the draft. And he has all of the tools to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. And he was saddled with Urban Meyer in his rookie season. You just hope that didn't ruin the kid. But Doug Peterson has the ability to coach up any quarterback. He helped coach up Patrick Mahomes. He coached up Carson Wentz. He got the most out of Nick Foles. I I think he is still one of the best head coaches in the NFL. Jacksonville is lucky to have him. The Jaguars, I believe, are going to threaten for a playoff spot this year. And as a result, Peterson is going to get a lot of coach of the year chatter. If the Jaguars happen to snag a playoff spot, I think he is a shoe-in to win NFL coach of the year. Bold prediction. Number eight, the Chicago Bears go winless. Last year, I tried this with the Texans. The Texans were terrible, but they did win four games. This year, I'll pick the Bears to go winless. I think they're the worst team in the NFL. That probably means they'll still win two, three, or four games because it's it's really hard to lose all 17 games. But no matter how many wins it winds up being, I think the Bears are the worst team in the NFL. So it's a bold prediction. Let's have some fun with it. Let's say they go O. Oh, and 17. Uh, bold prediction number nine, Dalvin Cook, the Minnesota Vikings great running back, will win the rushing title this year. So there are a number of running backs who could end up atop the leaderboard. You've got the reigning champ, Jonathan Taylor of the Colts, who could very well run away with it again. Uh, but I think that uh, Frank Reich with Matt Ryan wants to throw the ball a little bit more this year, but we'll see. Uh, you've got Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. That team is a, a heavy running team as well, and they might have to rely on him more with Deshaun Watson not going to be joining the team until the 12th game of the season. And then you've got Cincinnati's Joe Mixon, who was high up the 
uh, the rushing yard uh, charts. I know Pittsburgh's Najee Harris is a popular choice, uh, as the Steelers will likely rely on him a whole lot with Kenny Pickett getting his legs under him. But Dalvin Cook is the most underrated running back in the NFL. When he's on the field, he is unstoppable. Now, staying healthy is the biggest challenge for the Minnesota running back, but I think he'll stay healthy this year. It's just a prediction. And if he does, I say he takes home the title this season. Finally, let me give you just my Super Bowl prediction, my bold Super Bowl prediction. It's actually not that bold, but it's bold because I'm giving it to you, I think, a little bit early. I have the Bills beating the Bucks in Super Bowl 57. I really love the Chargers in the AFC, and right now that's my predicted AFC championship game with the hard luck Bills finally breaking through and getting back to the Super Bowl for the first time since the Jim Kelly era and actually winning it this time around. The pick in the NFC is not as tough for me. I think the Packers, Cowboys, and Niners all missed the playoffs, as I said a minute ago. Their replacements, the Vikings, Commanders, and Lions, they're not ready to make a deep playoff run. I think the Rams will repeat as division winners, and they could finish with the best record in the NFC because the West might be a little bit a little bit uh, dicier this, uh, this year. But it's very difficult for teams to repeat and even get back there. So I think Tom Brady being back changes everything. I do worry about whether or not the removal of Bruce Arians, his retirement with Brady coming back and Brady's, uh, you know, he's he wasn't there for most of training camp this summer. For, for, I mean, he's just, his, the rules don't apply to him, and that's understandable. He is the greatest of all time. So he, you let him do what he wants to do. But, you know, maybe there's a little bit of turmoil in Tampa. But I think Tom Brady's so good, and the NFC, is it's a down season for them. I think the path is paved for the Bucks to make it back to the Super Bowl. I do think it'll be the Eagles that they beat in the NFC Championship game in a rematch of last year's wild card or divisional uh, yeah, wild card playoff round. I think the Bucks beat the Eagles again this time in the NFC Championship game for a huge Super Bowl 57 in which Josh Allen defeats the legend in what will be Tom Brady's final NFL game. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to RJ Ochoa for coming on and talking about the Cowboys with us for a few minutes. Don't forget to check out all of our fine podcasts here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and read bleedinggreennation.com every day, every morning, a couple times a day. That site gets uh, updated over and over again as we bring you the latest news and rumors and notes on the Philadelphia Eagles and everything else uh, going on around the NFL as well. Make sure to tune into this show every single week as well for your eye on the enemy during the course of the season. We will, of course, be previewing each week's matchup with a writer or someone who covers the team uh, that the Eagles are going to be playing that week. So I want to make sure that this becomes appointment listening for you during the course of the regular season. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week right here on Eye on the Enemy. G-N.